0: Howdy, y'all. We're back for another episode of Connect This, and it's going to be a really fun one. We have our usual crew. We got Doug Dawson from CCG Consulting. Welcome.
1: Welcome. I didn't ever hear us called you all, so I think we're off to a really good start today. This is
0: great. I say howdy, and I say y'all all all the time, and I feel like people are always surprised by it, no matter how many times (laughs) I do it.
2: Is this a Grateful Dead t-shirt, though, Doug?
1: Oh, yes. I, it, it is. In fact, I brought this out of the closet for Travis's behalf. He says I should bring the whole array out. This is from a 1980s New Year's Eve concert. So you only got this if you went to that concert. So. Fancy. Yeah. Excellent.
0: We uh, We're at episode 69 now, and I hope that we're able to do enough episodes that you're able to pull all of those shirts out. That would be an impressive tally.
1: We need to get to about two twenty, I
0: think. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we got Travis Carter, uh, the CEO of USI Fiber in Minneapolis. Welcome.
3: Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. You know, I was just talking to me, Doug, when did you get that shirt? Uh, 88. And it still fits you. Well done. Yeah. Well, no. you don't see the bottom part around yeah. the waist. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So real quick, I don't want to get off on a rant because I know you're going to introduce Kim, but something <laughs> happened with me that was... An honor like you wouldn't believe Doug Dawson emailed me and asked my opinion of something. I mean, Ooh. I I was bragging this up all week, so just so you know, I'm I'm kind of riding on a high right now, so
0: Excellent. I'm I'm glad to hear you have that getting you through because this is a miserable Minnesota weather right now. This is as bad as it gets. Uh, we might see the buds freezing off of our trees, and God knows oh. what happens next. So oh, that's, that's bad. bad. Okay, you ready, for, you ready for the ramp? Yes. Here,
3: I have one. I've I've got one lined up. So, okay, sorry. Keep going.
0: We also have Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber, CMO, who is actually in Utah, but not anywhere near her home. Welcome.
2: Yeah, another hotel room. It's where in the world is Kim McKinley today? And I am in Saint George, Utah, which is way too cold for May. Well, we're not in May; in April as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, last week I went to Sacramento for a cool event, and um, uh, Travis, I do have to say, like Utah was awfully white, uh, as in snow <laughs> from above, and um, yeah. Minnesota was not. So uh, we're at least doing okay in that in that regard. So we also have, oh, um, I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for (laughs) Locals of the like This is like the 10th time I've introduced myself in almost 70 shows, and um, I kind of... Convince these fools to join me in this crusade. Behind the scenes, we have Bill Woodcock, who will be joining us in a little bit to talk about some um, uh, a cool uh, uh, like a couple of cool topics. One of which is has to do with uh, how we have no privacy and our data is being sold behind our back. Um, but um, Bill has a, a wonderful history uh, with the background of the internet, and uh, we'll see if over the next ten minutes he just slowly disappears and later tells us he had an internet connection failure uh, because as he sees how this show works, he might decide to run away. Um, we are going to start today by noting that uh, it is 420, which Ruben pointed out in the chat before the show even began. And um, I don't know if there's any jokes that anyone has, but you just want to get them out of the way so we don't have to deal with that later.
1: No, I'm good. We're good. Okay. I, I, I have no idea what that means. No, no, no. We are
2: adults.
1: <laughs> Not an Elon Musk fan.
2: We, we are adults, Chris.
0: Right. Well, I'm glad that we have three adults in here. Um <laughs> This just this just came up. I just um, I had a little bit of a thing um, uh, that annoyed me about me recently, and then I saw this um, story, and I and I wanted to cover it. Ucla um, has a new report out. Ucla does a lot of measurement. If um, I'd say that in some ways, they are even. Um, uh, consider the go to um, speed test in some ways. And um, they have a, a new uh, ranking of the fastest internet
1: service providers. And,
0: um, and I don't know, I'm annoyed by it. I'm, I'm curious, I'll start with Doug. Um, how do you feel about Ookla before we go into the story too much?
1: Well, first off, their speed test is good. And I won't get nerdy on you, but it does all sorts of things, does triple paths, averages them, drops off the high and low. So that, their speed test is pretty reliable. Uh, what you're about ready to talk about here when they announce the fastest ones you got to remember they sell services to the big ISPs and so all they did was they went i'm only going to report on ISPs who got x number of speed tests in the last month and that only that means the big guys there's obviously lots of faster ISPs <clears throat> but they're but you know if you don't have 23 million customers you're not going to quite make their list so Yeah, Yeah.
2: so what you're saying is, Doug, that we all just need to hit our speed tests over and over again. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, if if you got everyone
1: in Utopia to take their speed probably 20 times a day, you'd make their list. Okay, sweet. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Automate it, yes. One speed Mm -hmm. test an hour, you'd be right at the top.
0: At that point, you probably want to make sure it's an um, on-network test. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. Travis, do you have a reaction to Ucla? I know that you are annoyed about MLab. I want to offer a defense of MLab and just distinguish, but um, what's your reaction when I start talking about being annoyed by Ookla?
3: Well, I mean, if, if you disqualify all the small operators, it, it only it just leaves the big guys. It also depends on what service packages you have. If you've got gigabit facility into somebody's property, but you're only selling 200 megabit, you know, you're not going to get full credit for what's actually there. But I is Charter the fastest? Yeah, maybe is Comcast going to be the fastest tomorrow? Maybe does it affect probably our day to day? Not really.
0: So when Doug says that it is, you know, a really good speed test, I think it's worth noting. I think Ookla's mission is to try to define the maximum capacity of the link or the links that are being measured. Whereas uh, like M for instance, I think is more trying to get a sense of of normal performance. I think. Ookla, as I understand it, tries to like crowd out all other data streams that are happening in order to get a sense of that. Whereas MLab is more um, is not gonna show you the maximum throughput particularly as you get onto faster connections.
1: Yeah, mLab has all sorts of weaknesses compared to Ookla, but, but, but as long as you, when you look at the results, as long as you know which one you're looking at, you can factor that into how you read it. I, I'm that. not sure I
3: totally understand what you mean, Chris.
0: What I mean is, is that my understanding is the way UKLA works is it saturates, you know, the the pipe um, in, in that it's like if there's other data streams, it's going to just try to like drown them out and like get a maximum reading. Whereas MLAB, which actually I think MLAB might be incorporating this to try to do that as well. But MLAB is trying to do a test more along the lines of give you a sense of what a standard application is likely to be seeing in terms of capacity.
1: Yeah. And the, and the biggest weakness of MLAB is UCLA picks an ISP very close to you. MLAB, you might travel halfway across the state to hit the server they're on. So that adds a bunch of time right to the speed but, test right but off of the bat. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and they do it a single adds, instead of three. Yeah.
2: And it offers some complexity if you do not if you're not hitting a server that is 10 gig capable with a 10 gig capable connection as well. So it's right. not really a very I mean it's it is comprehensive, but I don't think it's necessarily accurate. And coming from a marketing person depending on what you really want to report on you can report on anything it just depends right. on how you want to skew the data oh
1: yeah. yes you can, so you get any story you want out of speed test absolutely mm-hmm. yes
0: i think bill will have an opinion on this when we bring him in in a, in a few minutes um so we'll come back to it the other thing i just want to note is that mlab is the um is open and that's what i really like about them is that it's open to researchers in ways that UCLA is not um, I seem to recall that Ukla used to have a different algorithm and then they changed it around to make it much more favorable to the big companies. And now, like you said, they restrict it to uh, their their comparisons to like the biggest companies. And I felt like I, I said this on um, on LinkedIn. I, I feel like that's like asking, is the best burrito in America from Taco Bell, Chipotle or Cordova? Um, And I can tell you there's better there's better burritos on Lake street, but no one cares. Right. And so, um, I just, I get annoyed at these charters, not the fastest national ISP, but now they're going to go around bragging about it and advertising. They're going to be lawsuits about
1: it. It's just incredibly wasteful. It's hard to think the Charter's faster than, Verizon Fios, That'll, that alone alone's pretty amazing. So, yeah. Well, no, it's
0: because, I think it's because um, they actually, my understanding with Ookla is in these tests, I think they actually just look at a subset of them, the fastest ones, because they didn't want AT&T, for instance, to be strangled by its DSL connections. And right. so they don't look at the totality so the, of the tests. No, they're they not look including
1: at- DSL in these. That's my understanding, too, yes.
0: Yeah. And then I yeah. think, even on top of that, I think that they are a lot of these tests may only be hitting business circuits because they're looking at the like an upper tier of them and then doing comparisons based on that, even. I think, but in fact, I don't, don't track this. We, we to have testing.
1: no idea what they include in this the report. It could be anything.
0: That's where, yeah, that's where I just for really we, For it. all we
1: know, for all we know, and now it's, I'll get lost. But for all we know, Charter gave them money to put them on top. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. We don't know what's behind that report. Right. So, yes.
0: Uh, Then the one other thing that I wanted to bring up here is um, this is one that um, it's one of those things I'm super in favor of like, man, I love a story that says cities, um, you know, cities should be able to build their own networks and we should penalize states that have barriers to community networks, but uh, broadband now is such clickbait. It just annoys me. (laughs) (laughs) They put out a report. They put out a report that said 17 states risk funding delays because of their anti municipal broadband laws. And I think that might be true if you if NTIA planned on following the law, but I don't think NTIA plans on following the law. So it led to fun reports from light reading following up on that and then fierce telecom saying no, that's not true. Like there's not going to be any delays. Kim, I'm curious how you reacted to, to that little back and forth.
2: I just was like, okay, like let's get off this conversation. It's a dumb conversation to have. Even when the NOFOs came out, we didn't think that municipal broad, these states would get restricted by these um, regulations. It's just not gonna happen because I think it's, I was actually having this conversation earlier. You cannot force people who do not want to do municipal broadband to do municipal broadband. No matter what you want from a federal government, you cannot force a state to do so. And we might like municipal broadband in this this country, but you have to have people who are passionate about building networks and operating networks and being there. It's 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 just unrealistic that either the federal anything would be restricted from municipal broadband or that states are going to suddenly believe in municipal broadband because the federal government's like, oh, you should do this. It's
0: not Yeah, I mean, for me, it just comes down to I think Congress wrote a law in which NTIA could delay funds or even force the funds go in an alternate path to communities in a state that refuses to adhere to federal law. But. In the year 2024, we are not going to see a headline, Biden administration denies broadband funds to Florida or North Carolina or any number of other states. Like, it's yeah. like that's not going to happen.
1: Not going to happen. And you got to remember, finally, here, courts already said the FCC couldn't dictate this issue. So they're not going to let NTI do it. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So. Well, I mean, it, this is the thing, though, is, is that like, button. I mean, I actually
0: think from a technical perspective, and I think... um Oh, I did a great interview with um, the woman who had been the lawyer at Natoa, and now she's uh, moved on. Um, Nancy Warner, I think. Is that right, Kim? Um Um, Yeah, I'm not sure. We talked about. I mean, it's not actual preemption. It's that the the NTIA can just say that the state is not following the rules. I mean, you know, the states. If the state decided to give the money out to build fiber to uh, homes that already have FiOS, uh, that would also be a violation that NTIA could crack down on. And so, um, you know, I think NTIA has the authority. It's just that in the world of politics that we have. Um, there's no they're way the gonna Biden live. administration is going to exercise that in a way, especially no. not this Biden administration, which I think, you know, they have some really good people in good places, but
2: yeah, we couldn't even get Gigi on the FCC. Why the thing that think that this is the, the sword they're going to die on is municipal broadband. Right. It's just not going to be um, no. that big of issue for them. No.
0: Yeah. But at the same time, I am looking forward to the fact that the states do have to justify if they are um, if they are going to be discriminating against municipalities, they have to justify it. And that will give us some method to move. Colorado is uh, looks like I think they have actually I think the governor hasn't signed it yet, but will remove their restrictions. Um, I've heard rumor of uh, other states talking about it. So uh, some states may actually waive it in regard to this money. I don't really know how that works constitutionally in a state like. I just, I see these newspaper articles written by people that I think aren't, didn't have political science degrees, maybe. And they're yeah. like, oh, they'll just wave it. I'm like, what? Like, I don't think governors can just wave laws like that. <laughs> not that the legislator
1: passed the legislation. now. Yeah, exactly. So, there's one important part of this conversation. Your first sentence broadband now is clickbait. So. Yeah. 100% clickbait was not started that way, has become that no, way. Has become that way. And they're just trying to get people to look at them and, you know, good for them so
0: yeah and so for people who are curious if you go to broadband now you'll notice that um i suspect travis i'm going to come to you right now um i suspect that you'll find in minneapolis a satellite provider is listed above usi fiber in the listing of available Hmm. services and that's because they are ranked by order of i i assume they are ranked by order of kickback to broadband now not by order of quality
1: Yes, they make their money by signing people up to those other ISPs, the big ISPs, right? So. Yeah. Travis, uh, how are the maps doing?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Is that you haven't even brought them up yet, and we're already like fifteen minutes into this gig?
0: I'm not ranting before Bill comes on. I'll tell you that right now.
3: <laughs> okay, I was just curious if we they made a lot of progress since we talked last, because
0: uh, no, I would not define the progress of the maps to be a lot.
1: Okay. Okay. Just so you know, Travis, the the head of the FCC said the maps are great. By so that so you know so. Okay. Well. Yeah. No. And I mean, I I think we talked about this
0: afterward, but I was furious at um, Connected America. We were there. I was there with Kim and Dallas and. Mm-hmm. The FCC spokesperson got up and talked about how wonderful it was and bragged about how they have a method of correcting errors now. And, and I was just sitting there thinking like, yeah, like I thought it would be really great to be able to correct errors when I imagined the errors would be in the tens of thousands or maybe hundred thousand. But when we're two orders of magnitude above that, it's beyond comprehension how we would go about fixing them. Uh, so embarrassing. Good try. Good try she was,
4: she, I
3: was just yeah. She was very passionate. <laughs> Haven't heard for the last few weeks about the maps So
0: yeah, no, the maps are, um, last thing I'll say on it is that if, uh, if like, companies like AT&T and Charter wanted to devise a way to distract everyone and waste their time, make sure that they weren't doing anything productive, um, uh, having Jessica Rosenworcel po- follow this path of the maps um, was a master stroke of genius.
3: Um, wait, you want to think... know, know the secret, Chris? Has anyone told you? Hmm. The incumbents are getting all the money anyways, just so you know. Well, I think you, yeah, I think yeah, your estimate yeah, is too yeah. high.
0: Most of the money. Most of the yeah, money. All of
3: it. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's... Um, <laughs> um,
0: this FCC is infuriating and, uh, also infuriating is the silence of groups inside the beltway who should be, uh, putting pressure on them. Um, but, um, are not because there are friends in power, I guess. Uh, so, um, it's a hard day. Um, with that, let's bring Bill Woodcock on. Um, Bill is someone that I think a lot of viewers uh, will be familiar with, uh, executive director of Packet Clearinghouse, deeply involved with internet exchange points around the world. Uh, Bill, welcome. Howdy. Pleasure to be here. Bill, my my sense of you comes from um, one interpersonal interaction we had where we were in a... Um, uh, we were helping to judge a contest, and I think we were all sitting. This seems like a really not great project, and we're trying to figure out how to do it. And you just waited right in, and you were like, "I don't think this makes a lot of sense." And I loved you for your
5: candor. Oh, well. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, if I have one superpower, it's saying no to things. I've developed <laughs> that <laughs> for a long time. Um. Tell us what's what's packet clearinghouse what's your background with uh, internet access mm, so pch goes back to the nii the national information infrastructure plan which was uh al gore's transition of the internet from uh the, the communist uh single payer uh they decide how much you get mode to the capitalist mode that lasted for what nine years um uh where anybody could jump in and make bandwidth and sell it and you know do business um and so at that time the internet was already 24 years old and there was you know there had never been a thought to having a, a a business model to support critical internet infrastructure before because you know the dod just footed the bill for everything And so really, we're kind of like the fire department. Um, We're a nonprofit. We are there to support critical internet infrastructure. It's mostly training and equipment and bandwidth and so forth for internet exchange points and core of the domain name system. And we also work on regulatory and policy, and we work on cybersecurity coordination. So, uh, and we've been at it for 30 years now.
0: How do you keep the doors open?
5: Um, About 40 governments and maybe 600 internet companies uh, support us every year. Support us every
0: Uh, year. Wonderful. Um, So I wanted to ask you about something, and I'm curious because on this call we have two people directly from service providers and in my world i get phone calls at an opportune times i um i'm constantly dealing with isps that uh, do not engage in any kind of um harvesting and sale of their uh the data of their subscribers mm-hmm. and i assume that to the extent that large companies do uh that it was a small piece of the of the revenue that they depend upon to uh, make their money and whatnot. And in an interview that you gave in, um, oh, I forget the name of the show, but Ryle put it in the chat here, I'm sure, um, uh, on a European inter- um, podcast, which is a really wonderful show, um, you had mentioned that that was like a significant part of the revenues of these companies and, the, and also the one that has the most potential for growth. I was wondering if you want to just walk through that for a second.
5: Well, I mean, <clears throat> it depends on the company and how things are being divvied up of course um all of this uh goes back to uh 2001 uh the transition from the capitalist era of the internet to the surveillance economy era um uh it coincided with the collapse of the telecom bubble and uh the collapse of the dot-com bubble and so yet all these companies that suddenly had like three months of runway left and no real business plan and uh then 9 11 happens and the us government starts knocking on doors saying hey uh you might have ancillary data um you know that you might have collected about people doing stuff on the internet in the course of your business and we'll pay for that and so the problem of course is that all these companies you know grab for that like you know a, a lifesaver for a drowning person because they don't have any other revenue, really. And um, and so they all did the same analysis, which is that if somebody is paying for data about our customers, we want to maximize our revenue. We need the most possible customers, which means we need to give it all away for free because then we get more customers and we have more data to sell. So that's when... I mean, prior to 2001, you didn't have free services, right? It wasn't like, you know, people got Gmail and it was free and people, you know. Right,
0: but are you talking about both ISPs and online (coughs) services or one or the other?
5: Well, I'm talking about online services, but isps are in a trickier position um the folks who have control of the local loop are sometimes regulated depends on the country Uh, i understand that i'm i am by no means an expert on u.s regulation Mm -hmm. particularly current u.s regulation because you know i i was an internet service provider in the 80s and 90s you know not not since then uh, in in california Right. So as we're um, talking
0: globally, I think it's it's fair to know right. re- regulations vary and whatnot.
5: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, in a lot of the world, you need a license to be an ISP or a class license applies to you with certain restrictions. And a lot of the world, not the US, has privacy law. And so it's not legal to collect data about users and sell it without getting their explicit permission and so you get things where they try and bury that uh you know down in the bottom of a lot of fine print uh, but then you know in europe the, that doesn't really fly right like you could have a essentially a class action lawsuit if an isp got caught doing that and, you know, trotted out, you know, here in sub clause 35, it says in fine print that we might do whatever we want with your mm-hmm. data, right? That, that doesn't work, right? Like this is a legally protected right that you can't sign away. So um, what you get instead is ISPs making these don't look behind the curtain deals with other providers. So they say, oh, well, you know we need traffic analysis service right we need to understand you know what our business looks like and so we're going to let somebody put a server on our network and we're going to flow all the traffic through it and then they're going to give us insights about our business and of course that company is a us company and so there are no protections for the data once that company has a hold of it and so uh where this has happened a lot is with cybersecurity right so things that purport to be firewalls things that purport to give business intelligence and dns right internet service providers very few of them actually run their own recursive resolvers anymore and you know so if you're deutsche telekom and you don't run your own recursive resolver for instance uh and you're a customer of um nominum for instance u.s company a german customer who believes that they have legally protected rights around their privacy you know the data is just being sucked out to the u.s and sold so um you know and yes that's a hypothetical example and i don't know for certain that uh deutsche Telekom is a a Whatever they call them, customer partner, whatever of. Non- Rudolph own.
1: Vanderberg will let us know shortly. I'm sure.
5: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, let me just jump in here because I can answer your question that I think Bill will find interesting. Seven or eight years ago, AT and T charged you ten dollars more if you did not want them to share your data. Remember that? Yes. And so they kind of put a dollar value on that data by doing that. And at the same time, Charter and Comcast say they absolutely do not do it. But what they do is what Bill just described. They do not themselves collect and sell your data. They simply collect money from someone else who's in their network collecting it for them. So they they are making money from it. But AT&T also stopped doing that. And I believe because of the exact thing Bill said, which is they don't want a class action lawsuit. I'm sure AT&T no longer explicitly does it either. So they've all just gone underground with it. I have no question that they're all making money on it. So... But no one knows for sure. That's one of those big corporate, big corporate secrets, right? So Man, Travis now, Travis is probably making a fortune on his. But, yeah, you know. right. You know, we <laughs> run our own
3: resolvers, but I can see it. Like, I mean, imagine, imagine ISPs is using Cloudflare or something. You know, what's Cloudflare doing with that data? <laughs> right.
1: That's yeah. exactly what we're talking that, about.
3: That's really the key. And yeah. will, could you ever definitively find out?
1: I
5: don't like, It'd be
1: tough. Yeah. It'd be really tough. Yeah
5: well i mean there are a lot of different ways the data is being sold but i would say that the the worst part of it is the data that is being used to feed machine learning that in turn is ab testing users and you know getting from them whatever it is that whoever is paying wants, right? Getting them to vote a certain way, getting them to buy a certain product, getting them to, you know, get into some argument with somebody on Twitter, right? It, all this stupid stuff that is fundamentally opaque. Um, well has the
0: has the rise of TLS and encrypted by default um, websites in many cases helped to protect data more?
5: Have you heard of a company called Cloudflare?
0: <laughs> so that's so i mean like i i had not given this as much thought because so many many websites are running um their site through cloudflare for protection <laughs> against distributed denial of service attacks as well as other benefit. so i mean to give you an idea we run our um our website through we're not like it's not with an intention of letting them mine data it's uh it's a, to a take load off the server and another thing so i think there's a whole like let's say a perhaps large number, but small amount of traffic number of sites that just see it for the benefits of a free service. And like, I enjoy you laughing at me, but uh, do you want to spell out what, what exactly we're getting wrong? And Kim, did you want to jump in first?
2: I was just going to say, do you think, do we ask, do consumers even understand that, that this is happening right no, now?
0: consumers, it's magic. It's magic all the way down.
2: And do we think that if we could cause a rise up of consumers really understanding that this is happening to their data, that anything would change.
5: We've got 22 years of people being trained to not ask why they're not paying. And, you know, that's not a question that people really want to consider, right? If they're given a choice between pay now, pay later, pay, you know, or don't (laughs) don't think about what your data is worth, most people take the free thing we have one other
1: factor going on people under 25 don't care if people see their data they're open they are yeah, the I've polls seen shown conflicting that evidence lot, on I've that. seen a lot of polls that show that they 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 just don't have the same concern we do.
5: So, yeah. I think uh, just like the broadband rankings those polls may be highly motivated to come That's up true. with
1: you have a good point
5: yeah. there. Yeah, I mean yeah.
2: marketers, those <laughs> data marketers, they are just sneaky on every level. I'm just saying. I mean, that's where you get I mean, the
0: whole Finstagram, right? The whole like is that still a thing? The fake Instagram? I mean, I feel like there are ways in which younger folks are trying to camouflage some of their stuff, not just from their parents, <laughs> but from others too, I think.
5: I think well, it's a I'm
2: concern that's rising up in the market though. I think it's a concern more than it's ever been. I mean, just from some of the documentaries that are out there that are talking about some mm. of these issues, I think you're going to see more and more people get are are becoming more knowledgeable of why these things are free. I don't know if it's going to change anything, but I do think that that consumers are becoming a little more aware. I don't yet again I can't predict what will happen, but more than ever I think I'm seeing that
5: personally. Bill? I mean, the entire Pirate Party is like people under 30 by and large. Right?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And
5: so this is an entire political movement in much of the world of young people trying to reform the system, you know, from the top down, which is great. Well, needs
0: and, to and I'll say, like, I feel like for the past six months, we've done a lot of events with different folks in which over a period of, of, of not of like 60 to 120 minutes. We go over how does the internet work. You know, it's a bunch of fiber optic cables. This is why it's fiber. Like this is generally how it runs. This is some of the economics behind it, and um, people come away just being like, "Wow, I didn't know a that it was interesting, and b that I could understand it." And I think we could see uh, people making different decisions if they actually have an opportunity to sort of understand that this is not all magic. And then it suddenly seems like, Oh, now I, now I, I I think of it differently.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, So let's talk about one other thing, which I'm, I'm really curious about. Um, Bill, you'd mentioned the commercialization of the internet. I feel like I hear a lot of people who are younger often talking about that as though it was a terrible decision. Um, and I think they don't always appreciate exactly what it was. And so I actually want to start with Travis and, and ask, you know, when you think about going back to then as someone who is skeptical of the power of the biggest cable companies and whatnot as uh, your competitors. But um, when, I, when I say the, the commercialization of the Internet um, or the privatization, that act that took it from being out of the Department of Defense and um, a more public entity, how do you react to that time era?
3: Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, look at the results of what we're doing right now. So was it, you know, obviously it was a good thing. Um, it, it was an interesting opportunity at the time. I'll tell you that it, it it opened an opportunity up for a lot of us younger people to, you know, get into the industry. Maybe those of us that were did, looking. Did be, you
2: say we were younger people? I'm just asking. I think they I, were.
1: He's, meant, I, he meant when he was a younger. When I
3: was. Oh, oh
2: okay. Yeah, just yeah, so okay.
3: Back when I was younger, it was, you know, the prior, it was, it was the a prior millennia. Yes, many years ago, huh? So I don't do I react? I mean, obviously it was a good thing. You know, the day after Al Gore invented the internet—is that what we're talking about? So
0: I'm not, I'm not going to chase see. that
3: one. I'm not yeah. going to do it. Okay, uh, you know, I'm trying to get you riled up today, Chris. I don't know. I have this mission. Or something. I gave
0: blood today, and I don't have enough to get my pressure up.
3: Oh, okay. No, I mean, I, I think it was a great opportunity, and it and it continues to be. I mean, it, look look at what it's done. I would say the only negative thing that's come out of it is is the advent of this thing you know, I mean, I, nothing, nothing is more comical to me than going out to dinner and seeing a bunch of younger folks and they don't even talk to each other. So I would say that is the only real visible negative that I see on a day-to-day basis. Otherwise it's been quite transformational in our whole world.
1: Yeah. Anyone else react to that? Well, yeah, because I've been there since then too. And I was an ISP back in those old days and There was no real demand for the internet until we had free Facebook and all those other things that sprung up. And that's what attracted people to come here. And then after that, video is what brought everyone here. And without those, you know, and there's still lots of free video out there. And without that, if that all went away, I think the number of people who would actually use the internet day to day would drastically go down because that's what they use it. But then by having it, they get all those other benefits. You know, okay, I, I bought the internet because by gosh, I'm a Facebook fanatic. But look, I could have a telemedicine meeting with my doctor now. They don't get it for the telemedicine. Yeah,
3: but, but yeah, it's
2: it's a it is a time saver. I mean, I know yeah, I'm, you know, is. so young. I'm so young <clears throat> here, but you remember when you had to pick up the encyclopedia and actually have right. to look things Looks up stuff, <laughs> huh? no. yeah, and mine it's mine. And that's all
0: free.
1: Those benefits are amazing.
3: The
0: yeah. encyclopedia <laughs> I used in the nineties was written in the fifties. So uh, <laughs>
3: Hold on, your your theory, Doug, is that if we only had the gopher protocol today, the internet wouldn't be quite as as, as big of a, a change as no, it let's, is. let's be
0: clear about what Doug is saying. Doug yeah. just offered the family version of the internet is for porn.
5: Um, you know, we <laughs> I mean, kind of left
0: that out in terms of how people want to use it, but
3: yeah, no, it's uh I mean it's
5: and to be fair, in nineteen ninety-one, I keynoted the annual conference of the american association of prescribing pharmacologists and i told them that gopher was going to revolutionize their industry
3: (laughs) i love it
0: and they didn't believe you because you were 12 years old and they were like what is this kid doing
5: (laughs) there's that and i failed to anticipate the whole thing about canada which you know, revolutionizing the drug industry. <laughs> well,
3: in, in around the same time in ninety two, I went to my boss at the time who was a travel travel agency conglomerate and said, You should seriously consider booking travel on the internet. And he laughed me out of his room. So wherever you are, Rex, you are wrong. So yeah, no, I mean, I
0: think I just remember I jumping on Prodigy in the late 80s, maybe 89, 90, and being able to see sports scores, um, fascinating. Um, right. You know, just
1: look them you up. you never had that before. You couldn't find out the same day who won a college baseball game. You could not do it. There was no way think, to find it. Yeah.
5: My experience may have been a bit different from yours in California. Um, I mean, this was <laughs> at that time where – Uh, something like 90% of the internet was. um, And there was huge demand. uh, And, you know, I was fulfilling that demand, but that was a crime, right? So I was running a business, which was a criminal enterprise. (laughs) So 1992 meant that, that that was legalized. And so I could then just You know, I could advertise. I could, (laughs) you know, not.
2: Bill, do you need a therapy session? Did you just tell us (laughs) you were running a criminal activity? (laughs) Yeah, now we have to
1: ask, what's the statute of (laughs) law? I like
3: WAM Remember, have to buy something called a stamp. And and you, like, licked it and, like, put it on a piece of paper, like, back in the old days, or 1-800-MOVIE-PHONE. I still do
0: that. I mean, I I still
1: I still do it, too. Um, You want a stamp? Oh, absolutely! Yes. Yeah. I, just a, mailed, I just check. mailed off. I just sent yeah. off a tax return yesterday. Stamp, maybe. I want to check.
0: Remember those things like it was like yeah. an IOU. But I think
1: right, I mean somebody?
0: this is the thing, right? Like I do think like, um, and I go back to this, and I, I, I want to take this seriously because I 100 percent want to see public investment in high quality networks to make sure everyone can be connected. And I was talking with a friend, and they were like, "Well, yeah, we should have done it back in the '90s." And I was like, I don't think that would have been a smart investment back then. And I don't think the
5: government would have done a good job with it, Bill. It's It's not needed because under the capitalist model, right? What what we had in the nineties, the private sector is perfectly well incentivized to do it because the private sector can then just charge for services and it all works great. You know, you, you charge your customers, you get money, you spend it on infrastructure investment, you get more customers, everybody's happy it was a
0: great but model I, and i think i mean that's one way of looking at it. the way that i look at it is that we had like what 7500 8500 different businesses that were trying to figure out how to do it and one of the and so like that's way better than than yeah, you know like really one hard. government having brilliant people and trying to figure it out
5: right it's also way healthier than having three businesses you know price setting and right. none of them incentivized to do much and not to mention well, I think what, we we went big, what big
1: complex thing has the government ever pulled off well what's Let's get well, when,
0: I mean, there is a whole moon thing, but we can move
1: yeah.
5: on. <laughs> yeah. One thing yeah. I we
3: pretty good dog. I mean, they yeah. do an amazing job collecting money.
0: No, actually they don't, but I don't they want to waste time on that. Yeah. Let's go back to the topic well, again. Go ahead, Bill. I bet you Ooh. they
3: do it all of us.
5: <laughs> so, one thing to really watch out for is unfunded mandates in uh, you know, municipal networking. And that there was this fad for that for a little while around like 2000 2004 in there um and sweden and norway both did it and i think finland started to and it um the problem was that they would pass this law saying every municipality has to lay fiber everywhere and then it hit all of them at the same time and so the demand for people who could splice fiber would just go through the roof and it so none of the economics that held before the law applied after the law everything was vastly more expensive and so then they all had to do these bond issues right which meant they all went into debt and then they had a fiber network with no customers and no bandwidth right because they weren't connected to anything and they had to repay the debt and so then you know somebody would some kid would sit up and say hey i'll run an isp on that and they'd be like, well, here's the debt you got to repay. <laughs> and then, poof, right, there goes the ISP. Or they say, well, you know, we're not going to allow competition because we have to pay back our debt, and so we need a monopoly to do that. So things can go pretty wrong when government tries too hard to push this. <laughs> private sector incentives
2: are you saying the government doesn't do everything correctly bill i don't know how to handle that
5: yeah not news to anybody i guess (laughs) no but i i I do i mean i'll just
0: say like that's travis i'm gonna get wound up on this but like (laughs) here he goes like i mean whenever travis bugs me about stuff like this i'm always kind of like look like you know right now I'm drinking this stuff. It's free water. It's clean. It's healthy. It's, it's not free, but it's like dang close. Like in my, like I've spent time in Africa and the middle East and um we just take a bunch of stuff for given for given.
4: Right. Um, for granted. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and like, there's all the things that does well. And like, you know, when it doesn't do something well, like the lunar surface that is outside my house and Travis's house, and then we get frustrated at government, but there's doing like 10 other things well that we're ignoring right now.
3: Number anyway,
0: water, what number two? Uh, well, the <laughs> the, the what, what comes out after you've used the water, the sewage is also That's well cool. done. Electricity is quite affordable relative to its utility. Um, um, you know, we can go through. I'll say this: like, but do you have this, a this thing, thing that you like system system to talk about? Like, do you have any idea how many government innovations went into allowing Apple to make that? Like all the different stuff the private sector didn't fund, like that um, that made that possible. With no, them, there's like I'm six or seven in there alone, Travis. So I'm counting ten. I'm going to stop at ten. <laughs> <laughs> well, go no. ahead, Bill. We're gonna we're yeah. gonna move on in a minute. So let's give Bill a chance.
5: Well, yeah. um, I guess what I was going to say again, I'm no expert on the U.S. situation right now, but I I got dragged into talking with people about the broadband uh, funding stuff early on, and what strikes me is that the NTIA and the FCC, I mean, they are I think the, the whole frame of the conversation has been so set by Comcast and at and and Verizon and so forth that people look at government stimulus money and assume that it needs to go to local loop, right? Like local loop is the problem that needs to be solved when that's never really been the case i mean there have always been people who have been willing to dig a ditch and throw fiber into it um that's a regulatory problem not a money problem and you know nothing for data centers nothing for exchange points nothing for content
0: Yeah, no, I'm not sure that I agree regarding the the way I feel like you might be dismissing the challenges of local loop, Um, but I 100% agree with the larger point, which is that everything else is considered, yeah, someone will take care of it. Like, it'll just happen um, off in the background. And then we're in situations where, um, you know, entire regions, uh, the economics of trying to build ISPs changes because of that um, lack of local peering and opportunity and whatnot, as well as other concerns that pop up. Uh, I don't know if other people react to that differently.
1: Well, I mean, we are, I mean, anything, as soon as you go 10 miles past the last suburb, that's where all these grants are going to. No one is willing to spend that money. But yeah, things are just as important. I completely agree and I don't know why there. no one's ever discussed funding all the stuff they'll just talk about
5: so. well because compass verizon and at&t don't do any of that stuff and Correct. so their lobbyists aren't there <clears throat> trying to corral all of the money into things that are defined as you know just in the terms of what they do right
0: and doug i don't know i assume you switched isps recently because charter is the best isp in the whole planet possibly solar system and yet you're having some garbling from time to time so oh, i I'm, assume you're not no, on charter
1: no. anymore no i'm on Charter. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, I, I he's a have, prime I up, example. I up, I, up a, my, I up to my speed. That's why the quality is only partly garble. So.
2: <laughs> he's a prime example of the best ISP in the United States right now. I mean, yeah. I don't know what I you're trying no to say, Chris. To I mean,
1: yes. I am curious
0: about one other thing, Bill. Um, I've seen some concern among people that I trust among the IXPs about a recent plan to come in and use some of the newly available money to build um, uh, what might be considered, um, um, you know, outsider operated um, gold plated um, exchanges rather than kind of locally rooted. I could be mixing up some of this from your reaction, but I'm just curious. You want to talk about that for a sec.
5: So um, I think what you're talking about is the thing that hundred newbie has been working on. Um, And, You know a lot of people look at hunter and say wow that looks like sort of a businessman on the make right but i don't know i've been working with him for 25 years off and on and he's gotten a lot of really good stuff done in really difficult situations that nobody else was really willing to tackle by going out and you know doing the politicking um And so
0: let me let me just redirect for a sec quick, because I think the issue was some of the places that they've named as wanting to work. There were things that were already kind of happening and there was a feeling of being stepped on, I think.
5: Right. Yeah. So this question of how many IXs is the right number of IXs, the, the U.S. is already at one extreme end of the bell curve. There are like 130 exchange points in the U.S. out of like 700 total globally. Um, uh, Brazil and Russia are the next ones, uh, number two and number three at around 40 each. Um, and those are both also really big countries and with really big populations. Um, so it's difficult in some ways to say the U S doesn't have enough exchange points, but it doesn't right? More is always better with exchange points. It's, it's just production of bandwidth, right? If you want to con- be able to consume more bandwidth, you got to produce more bandwidth. And so more factories making more bandwidth in more places, closer to more people is always going to be better. Um, the gold plating is a problem though, because what you're really trying to do is lower the APBDC or the average per bit delivery cost. And um, if you spend more money to do that, you're raising the apbdc rather than lowering it so the thing about exchanges is they're fundamentally really cheap it's just an ethernet switch sitting in a closet somewhere it doesn't need to cost much um so you know an ethernet switch that can do lots of 100 gig ports is a couple thousand bucks right it it's not a fundamentally expensive thing we did a study uh, i mean it's a while ago now but um the payback time on exchanges on average is like three weeks right you build a new exchange it's going to be profitable for all of its participants and it's going to paid back all its costs in three weeks so doing more is fine um doing a whole bunch right on top of each other is a waste so what makes the most sense is to spread them out and do them in different places do lots and lots and lots of really cheap ones sitting in closets in towns of a thousand people. Um, So anybody who, anybody who is taking a bunch of money and trying to do like 300 locations or something is going to wind up doing the same analysis of population, uh, GDP per capita, you know, in each metro area. Is there an exchange there already, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, I've built these spreadsheets for people before they can, you know, anybody can build one of these spreadsheets and you'll wind up with a list of Metro areas where there's a reasonable economy and, you know, a few hundred thousand people and there's no exchange point yet, but then, you know, anybody else who does the same analysis is going to come with the same result. And that's fundamentally what led us into the telecom collapse in 2001 is there was no central planning right we had a whole lot of entrepreneurs out there doing exactly the same thing at the same time with the same data doing the same analysis all in parallel with no coordination and so they all came up with the same result which is let's lay in fiber between la and new york right? or
1: let's go and get serve atlanta i know at least seven yeah. isps whose business plans say get a 30 percent market share in atlanta right, <laughs> right.
5: Yeah. yeah um All of which looks great if you assume that the entire rest of the world is static and nobody else is doing the same analysis you are and nobody else is going to have the same business plan as you are. So, you know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for Hunter because I've seen him get a lot of stuff done in difficult situations. And his judgment is good and he tackles hard problems. And so, and this is a hard problem. There are a lot of places that have no exchange point um you know is that going to be right 100 percent of the time no it's not and so i also have a lot of sympathy for people who are putting in the work right now and are worried about getting clobbered but is he gonna you know is his project going to have the attention to compete with already working efforts in places or is he just going to back off and put effort in somewhere else i know what i would do if i was him right it, If he discovers that there's already something working somewhere then it's not worth competing with it if he goes somewhere and something isn't working and just a bunch of people yakking at each other and you know whining then his thing may do better and people may like it better and that's the story i've seen play out a lot of times before also right people get very territorial and say well you know we've been here so right. it's our right to do this and nobody should compete with us and then somebody gets tired of hearing them say that and just does it and then everybody goes there so the the second largest exchange in the world is in jakarta and it's a dude who never advertised and like wouldn't even let his customers tell people that that's where they were peering because he didn't want to call down, you know, government attention it, and his his primary competition was run by the ISP association. Right? <laughs> he was competing with yeah. the ISP association to run an IX literally two blocks away. He started out in the same building. That's uh, great. <laughs> now he's got he's got like 1400 ISPs. What is
0: What is the largest IXP?
5: Uh, Sao Paulo. Oh okay. It's like 2,500 networks. Where does one Wilshire come in? Uh, I mean, I can tell you in a minute. If I'm you just going to throw them out there now. They'll be the
0: last one I ask about.
1: Well, we'll they'll be here now for
5: a couple of Our hours. Our
0: new show yeah. is, how big is this IXP?
5: <laughs> uh, so, what you can do, what I'm doing, is go to pch.net slash IXP. And then uh, go down to the column headers. And... Um, Uh, click on the average column and that's by bandwidth so frankfurt comes out on top Uh, participants sorry 2413 is the the current um count in uh sao paulo Uh, about 1100 in jakarta about 1100 in frankfurt 850 in amsterdam um so one wilshire let's go down
1: Hey, Rye, can you throw that in the chat 92. box? It looks uh, like it's yeah. about 13
0: or 14. Oh, no, that's any two California. That's the first one I saw. Yeah.
5: yeah. But I mean, you know, LA, LA is LA, right? Um, so all that stuff's just a couple blocks apart and there's plenty of fiber between it. Yeah. So yeah, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 down. Um, and you notice there are three in Brazil that are larger than that. Yes two in France, um, one in South Africa, uh, Netherlands, Poland, Russia, right? Um, So LA per se is not that huge um, despite having a huge amount of Pacific fiber landing there. And the reason for that fundamentally is because of the competitive and regulatory environment in the U.S. It's not that great. Yeah, Sao Paulo hey.
0: also has the biggest peak, which is interesting.
3: Go ahead, Travis. Look at the Midwest, though. Look how we rank at MICE here. Not bad for Minneapolis.
5: Right, and and your costs are low. Oh, yeah. Right. So if, if we had cost data in there and could could actually calculate APBDC, what you'd find is that a lot of the Midwest exchanges do really, really well because they don't gold plate anything. They're just quiet. They get the job done, and they don't waste a lot of money. And that's what the Seattle exchange Has been just at the forefront of that for for almost what twenty five years now. So just give you the Mm -hmm.
3: economics three thousand dollars a year for a hundred gig port into mice. I mean it's dirt cheap, dirt
0: cheap. Cool. Well, we're gonna have to move on. Did Travis just? Oh, Travis, right? Travis is on Comcast. He's not on a great connection, so just hung a little bit there. (laughs) For a second, I was like, Travis's own network is falling apart. But it's you well, that's
3: actually your network. Look at you dithering out. Oh, that's probably what it was. It was probably
5: yeah. You, you, it's you. yeah. yeah.
0: So, so, Comcast's fault, anyway. Thank you, Bill. All right, thanks. Bill. My pleasure.
5: It was great to hang out with you guys. Take care. Same Good
0: conversation. Wonderful. Um, one other thing I just part of the reason I um, wanted to bring up the, um, um, the issue with uh the big ISPs using advertising dollars was I was listening to the Verge podcast and they were talking about how OLED TVs are so getting cheaper and cheaper. And they just made an offhand comment that I'd love to see more about, which was just that, um, you know, TVs at this point are basically massively subsidized by the data um, that they sell, Um, which makes me happy because I'm a free rider. I, um, my dad, my computer's never, my, my TV has been plugged in one time to an ethernet cord and it doesn't know about the Wi-Fi network. And um uh, we run everything through the Xbox or Chromecast or whatever. So, um, buy a TV, update it, and then never let it see the internet again. Is <laughs> my recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um. So the uh, couple of stories here. Um, company that uh, thinks we shouldn't build fiber says it will cost a bajillion dollars to build fiber out to everyone. Um, Tirana has a study on the fiber only approach, and um, I think. Doug and I had different reactions to this. Um, you know, I have a reaction of these numbers don't actually mean anything. Whereas um, uh, Doug had a different reaction. I don't know if anyone else had a reaction, but let's start with Doug and then run around
1: quick. Well, f- first off, I think we all know that they're that's an incredibly self-serving analysis because they want grant money to go to them. So right, and so by they're going, hey, there's not enough money for fiber. Let's just put it in wireless right off the bat. So the number is really large, but they're talking about. Bede's not going to pay for all the upgrades. Let's not forget all the other money that's going into broadband. There's been bead, There's been RDOF. There's been, you know, the Reconnect programs. There's been all the state ACP money. I'm having to thinking that we're really already have in the process of spending maybe $80 billion. So, I mean, people are going like, well, RDOF's not gonna, or Bede's not going to pay for it all. Like, that other stuff is paying for a lot of fiber. And then all of those programs have matching funds. So the real amount that's being spent already – It's probably 120 billion. It's like, so it's like, hey, guys, what makes you think that that's not enough to finish off those last places? Nobody really knows if it's enough money until grants show up.
2: Can we Uh, just stop talking about how much grants are out there and how much we need to build out like these cities? Nobody knows the numbers. Nobody knows knows the numbers. And then there's like people like Travis who never get any of the the flipping grants who's still building out fiber or Utopia who has gotten little. And we keep (laughs) talking about that the federal government has to subsidize all of these projects to bring fiber to the U.S. We're, if we're a capitalistic society, then why do we always need federal um, subsidies to make this happen? There are ways that, yes, we need federal money to get into some of these areas. There is no doubt about it, but that it is not about, oh, we just need money and money on top of money to build fiber and upgrade our systems. There is a business model that comes into play as well.
1: Well, and, and that's by the mm-hmm. way, most of the state grants were fifty percent. They expected the private sector to put a lot of money in. Oh. I mean, and so and they took it. People took And it I think that was minimum.
0: Money. Um, you know, and then some of them some some places are just asking for a thirty percent match.
1: Right. And people took the money. So yeah. I mean, this and this is what gets to me. I don't know, Doug,
0: did you react at all to the email? We were on the same thread and I went on a little rant about like like these they numbers did, are actually they mean, Travis, he, he,
1: he did go in on a rant. Because oh, I don't, yeah, I don't
4: yeah,
0: know yeah. if you see an email. I want to know if Doug sees my email coming in. Just rolls his eyes and clicks delete, or if he actually like looks over it.
1: <laughs> no, I read your email. Yeah.
0: Because I mean, what it comes down to is, is this idea, which every now and then, um, you know, you're in a room with these uh, big monopolies, and they're like, over the past twenty years, we've spent four point eight trillion gajillion dollars building our network out, and I'm like, yeah, but you made three times as much back. So like, what? What does that number even mean and and similarly like if it costs like at the end we can try and figure out like travis's cost of building out all of minneapolis is it going to be the amount of money that he borrowed is it going to be the amount of money he expended like at what point in time like at a certain point these numbers um unless you're very specific these numbers are meaningless
1: just, yes it's right back to what kim said earlier you can take numbers and tell whatever story you want right so
0: Um, My favorite reaction to the Toronto story, though, was someone was like, oh, the people making the most expensive wireless (laughs) or... (laughs) think <laughs> because they were, they were reacting because we've talked about Toronto in the past and the expense of it and this person's reaction was along the lines of um, someone who's a fiber um, you know uh, who's both fiber and wireless has experience with both but is a preference for fiber and uh, and he was basically like at the cost of Toronto, you might as well build fiber <laughs> right not right Travis which I'm sorry oh, Matt, yeah. <laughs> Matt Larson if you're banging your head against it I agree with you if it is $14,000 to build a home with fiber in Nebraska Toronto. Is cheaper. 100% agree with you.
3: <laughs> Go so ahead, so, Travis. Something interesting came up, and I, I don't have a ton of details on it. Maybe Doug does, but the there's a there's been some some decisions made in the small cell community. For the community is about what the aesthetics can look like for wireless access points in yep. neighborhoods, and. The word I'm getting back is you wouldn't be able to run hardly any of this wireless technology in neighborhoods outside of very specific LTE devices that your WISPs will not have access to that even meet the aesthetics requirements of poles anymore. So
0: because it has to be like behind a, a like a shield kind of thing where well, you can't it's, really it's tell. It's what's be up like there. This
3: little tiny thing that lives on the pole, and, and in the bands we operate in, the antennas are too big. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if anyone's ever talked about that—that that, you know, Toronto might make the best mousetrap, but it certainly isn't going to serve any any of your high density neighborhoods if 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 they have to follow the aesthetics requirements outlined in the small cell um, legislation
1: or whatever rules that are being made. You heard anything about this, Doug? Yeah, could, I was just talking with someone about small cell issues this morning. They're so complex. The FCC came out and said they can put them anywhere they want. And remember, remember when Verizon and them were starting to do that, and they put these big ugly things right by people's houses, and there was just giant poles, yeah, giant poles, and there was a massive overreaction to those. And they just backed off. So they said, "Look, we have the legal right, but we're not stupid enough to force this on people because otherwise we'll never get any customers in these neighborhoods." And so they've gotten much more realistic about it. They asked permission, but you know, communities are often ridiculous in here. I I know some communities who have absolutely no cellular coverage. T-Mobile came and said, I want to put a cell tower in your little town. And they went, it's all a pretty historic district and we don't want a cell tower here. It's like, but you don't have any cell coverage. Yeah. Which is the, only, the number one thing they complain about. And then, but they don't want the cell tower in their little town. It's like, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> no, I agree. I think, yeah. and
0: I, I you know I, I would say that in my mind, that is something for them to learn and to fix, and not to have, um, you know, FCC or T-Mobile go to the FCC and force them to do it. If people want to, well, I don't think go know it it.
1: T-Mobile will just back off and not go there. Is what I think will happen.
0: Right, so and I'm yeah. just saying that I I agree that that issue pops up, and I think it is preferable to let those people figure out eventually. They need to come to an accommodation rather than forcing it upon them.
3: Yeah, but but who can afford and sit and fight these? T- you just go to the next town, right? Right. Oh I agree and that's what the I town mean, eventually I figures mean, it exactly out. I mean like on a time.
0: The town will eventually figure it out and that like people will be like, "Oh, I guess we have to come up with some sort of accommodation." And while they're waiting, we might see some changes in technology that make it better. I mean, I people always make fun of the fake trees, but I was just when I was in LA a few months ago, uh we were doing um a, a boot camp and I was trying to find a macro cell on the horizon and I couldn't because It looked like a tree, it fooled me. Like, <laughs> they're not all terrible, okay?
3: Come on, they're not even that good at trees, though. You couldn't tell, yeah. <laughs>
1: on yeah, how far away it is. And I'm, I like,
2: I'm wearing my glasses. <laughs> this is Chris.
1: He was driving without his glasses, that's all you need to know right i was not driving we don't,
2: we don't even need to go there chris i mean that's a whole discussion for another day that you couldn't tell a fake tree from a real tree no
4: it's
0: true like it wasn't it wasn't obvious on the horizon no one else thought, was pointing. Out, it took a while to figure it out he's
3: way too much of a city
1: boy that's all i can say so I, I wonder
3: i wonder what wisp current model is for high density neighborhoods are they trying to shoot from towers out on the, the fringe of town? Are they trying to get on light poles? I mean, I wonder. Well,
0: high density neighborhoods generally are talking about MDUs. I think they're just going rooftop to rooftop. Well, no, yeah. I'm talking they're even skipping single, single, single like, family homes,
3: like
1: small town neighborhoods. You I know. don't think they're...
0: there's a lot of WISPs going after single family homes. I mean, Starry was all about it, and
1: you know um they're going after folks who happen to have good line of sight, like, but they're not trying to serve everybody they're just not that's not anybody's model that i know yeah, yeah what, what an interesting deal
3: right you pay all this money to bring this backbone connection in into <clears throat> a community and you only decide to serve 30 percent of the people doesn't that seem to be a huge technology problem where like yeah, I, if think, you were-
0: I mean the question is whether they're able to cover their bills and then make some money for you know their retirement and you know if they can do that they their problem might be solved.
3: Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, if that's if that's the issue, you know. If, but yeah, I don't know. I just I, I think it's I think it's interesting. You know, we're all arguing over this wireless stuff while the incumbents are they're cashing huge checks, serving the communities already. So, and, but it'll and, all go and, to anywhere,
1: and they're not rolling it back into the communities, which yeah, really, yeah. So I mean, it
0: varies. You know, obviously there's there's ones that are it's it's a mix like anything. Um, uh, T Mobile. Doing fiber in California, no, Colorado and uh, New York City. Uh, Doug, can you explain this to me? How are things well, going?
1: T-Mobile is the most interesting company in the United States because about every two years they reinvent themselves. They had a big push to go be a fiber ISP seven or eight or nine years ago. And not, and they contacted me and I talked to them a bunch. And then all of a sudden one day they just backed out of that and literally that whole department of people was just sent on their own. sump packing. And so every couple of years, they come up with these ideas of ways to get into other markets, and then they peter out. And I don't know if this is a new serious attempt, or they're just trying that idea again. But, you know, they're making so much money on the wireless. Do they really want to go spend, you know, $10 billion on really getting fiber into these cities? If they do, it's awesome. I mean, well, we, don't, we don't really care who the people are who brings fiber to these Hard to serve cities like Baltimore, and we keep talking about as long as they do it. So if Timo well, both so care, but I take your point. But but if they if they do it, they if they do it, it's no. Their 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 prices aren't bad. They're not a bad ISP where well, they do build
2: But they're stable. not building the fiber, are they? At least in Colorado, they're well, Brookfield. On another, yeah. They're working okay, they're with Intrepid to...
0: Fiber. They're working with a company yeah. called Intrepid Fiber that's backed by um, yeah. Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, which I had heard of previously in the electric space.
1: And and their partnership ten years ago or eight years ago was exactly that they partnered with people. They didn't put in hundred percent of money, but they put in a lot of the money. I mean, yeah. they were spending a lot of the fiber money, and so yeah, I, you know, all the power in the world to them if that brings fiber to more places.
2: But why wouldn't they do it, Doug? I mean, why wouldn't they do it from a business model? Is because everybody else besides Verizon is getting into the in-home cellular service. Right. What is the what is the downfall of them getting into this hole?
1: None, because what they gain is economy of scale, and that's you know that's never bad for an ISP. They're way down the list compared to all those big guys. So,
4: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I think that that for them, that's a, you know, they have one disadvantage against AT and T and Verizon, And those folks also have a bunch of these monthly ISP guy customers paying them. And so, t Mobile's trying to, I think, build up that base so they, you know, that regular money from from last mile ISPs is good money in the Travis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. No. And every so that, that's, I think they're trying to get into that business just as a piece of the portfolio. But but who knows? Because two years from now, they might not be doing that again. What are they so. actually doing in New York? Are they talking about it or they actually hooked anyone up?
0: I Dude, thought they'd hook people up.
1: Okay. I heard. I heard yeah. That's why you're here. So,
0: I mean, I thought it started two years ago, even. I don't really know anything about no. it. I kind of, every now and then, I just see it pop up as a fact in a story, and I haven't heard no. much about it.
1: And they're very quiet about it. So that's why there's not a lot of press about it. So
0: So the last thing was just uh, NCTC, the uh, the form, I think of them as being the national cable television cooperative where all the small providers and then some of the bigger ones work together to try to get slightly less horrific terms from the channel owners like uh, Disney and whatnot, who are um, just. Rapacious when it comes to, uh, I mean, the real reason our cable bills are so high is not
2: rapacious. What rapacious, a r- r- yeah. rapacious. yes. Okay, Travis, yeah. could you Google that while we're going? Uh, it, right right it means, yeah. It
0: yeah. means not okay. great, <laughs> <laughs> not okay. great. Um, no, and, actually, uh, anyway,
1: earthingly aggressive is what it means. <laughs> <laughs>
0: NCTC has 700 cable operators and telcos, including a bunch of munis, uh, who now have an exclusive MVNO uh, deal with AT&T where they can resell the service. And I saw this and I was kind of interested by it, but I was also reminded that I think HBC, uh, Hiawatha Broadband Communications, had did this like 10 years ago. And I remember it was a big deal. The quad play, the the, the grand slam, like all this talk, like it was going to be a big deal. It seemed like it kind of faded and now it's coming back, maybe.
1: No. No, (laughs) this is also periodic because this is, I call this the arbitrage business. These carriers try to reach out and sell more minutes. And so, and they've done it. The big one was Sprint. Sprint did a massive amount of this, but then they would come and yank the deal away from you. You build up this big business plan. They either forced you to sell to them at a very cheap price or they just cut you off. And you went from good business to zero. So, you're saying an
0: ISP is like, who could get cut off?
1: Yeah, anybody can get cut off. There's no guarantee that that those are permanent deals, and so and because of that, it, you don't own any network. You just own the right to use these minutes, and then if they if they decide at the corporate level that that's way too much effort than it's worth, and they just cut it dead. And this is and right, where they could care yeah. less. And so those businesses come and go. They've been doing it for fifteen years. So many people have been burned by it, like, like Hiawatha. So many people got burned by it, they'll never touch it again. So
0: that's what I predicted. Travis's reaction to this was no, thank <coughs> you. Anything that could hurt my ranking, my where I don't have control over the network, I am not interested right. in it.
3: Exactly. Sounds like a spreadsheet decision more than a business decision. I wouldn't do it. Kim, yeah. are you selling Utopia Cellular? No.
2: Like, I think this is one of the problems is that a lot of companies, you have to stick to your core competency, right? At right. the end of the day, you should stick to your core competency. And a lot of people get very diversified because they see, like, like opportunities and stuff. And that's where you start losing because you're not really focusing on what you were started for and what you're great at.
0: Yeah, Ruben's been asking great questions on uh, the chat. We didn't have a chance to get to uh, his really good one about whether... We know of any Wisps that have uh, 10 years of operating experience and still have satisfied customers. Yes, I could name a few. Um, yeah,
1: I know so. Uh-huh.
0: Um, but I don't know that I would be able to name um a ton. Uh it's an interesting question empirically. Uh but this when do you think traditional video channels will die in favor of direct subscriptions? I'm on I'm using that MLS on Apple TV and uh, it's not great. I'm curious to see if Apple will improve on it. Um the video quality is all right, but like the interface sucks and uh, it's kind of a pain in some ways. But um but I'm thrilled well, yeah. I don't have to have a cable subscription this summer.
1: Well let's not forget we st- there's a nationwide fifty percent penetration of traditional cable. Fifty percent of households are still paying for it. That's a huge number of people and the programmers are not even worried about being rapacious here. Cause I don't that's a good word because they're now selling more programming overseas than they are in the U S they're not hurting. Hey fact, Fox I'm, news just wrote a would, check for
0: $787 million, which I think would, is two or three years or two or three months of what they make from the, uh, the cable right, charge.
1: Right. They'll raise their rate a penny and make that back in a year. So, so, the, you know, the programmers can be that greedy because they, you know, because people still want their content. And so it's not going to stop. And a lot of, I don't know why people watch linear TV when you have an alternative, but they do. Yeah. Well, first of all,
2: I know this is why Travis and I are in the wrong business. If they can make 787 million back
4: in a
0: few months. And it's mostly from people that never watch their channel. Like that's the crazy thing about
1: the way the cable bundle works. Right, everyone who has a cable bundle is paying for Fox, not you is. know?
3: Ruben, I'm actually, I didn't know linear cable still existed, quite frankly. Is that
1: still,
2: yeah? 50
1: percent of homes that's a so, lot of homes,
2: but you know, I think, many th-
4: um,
0: go ahead. Oh, no, um. Well, sorry, this just builds on something Doug had asked, which was the cable service MVNO. I think they actually do own significant amounts of, like, antennas and things like that. So they do own some Oh, no, that's that what
1: they're doing. They started out as a pure MVNO. They had a long enough set of contracts that gave them time. And they have a one big advantage. Remember, they've really invested in Wi-Fi. And so they're backhauling almost all of their traffic in the upload direction. And
0: CBRS, too. And I CBRS.
1: Assume. Well, now they bought CBRS. And now what they're doing is they're installing wireless – Antennas just in those heavy use neighborhoods, they'll continue to rebuy in the other. But because they're because they're uphauling the traffic, they're only buying half of the minutes to start with.
2: Yeah, because because,
1: they're they're, they're making they're making money at it. They're making money at it, but it's only because they got twenty million customers. Travis couldn't make money at
2: it. Let's, right. let's be honest. I'm in a hotel room a lot of nights of every year, right? Yeah. I had never turned on my TV because traditional TV is infuriating. It is.
1: It's, too. Like, <laughs> it's like, come on, oh, move man. it on here. I was, yes. in, this,
0: I was in this hotel <laughs> with my family. Like we got there. We're, gonna, we're, we're staying in Atlanta at the end of a vacation. because We're going to fly out early the next morning. And uh, it was cold outside and raining. The pool was uh, freezing cold. This was like two weeks ago. And uh, uh, there was uh, no Wi-Fi all day long. We were there for like six hours awake. And um, and we're kind of like, you know, a little bit fried from our, from our trip and had to like click through the channel. Like there was no menu system or anything, like no guide. So I was literally like clicking through and end up watching John Wick with my <laughs> yeah. seven-year-old son because I just gave oh. up.
1: <laughs> There's – There's family
4: values.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, AT&T. It was an AT&T outage. Is is there a conspiracy theory here then? So let's see. 82% of Americans live in cities where they have cable networks with linear television and public dollars are being given out that exclude that 82%. Because if you have a fiber optic connection to your home, the odds of you using linear television are probably... 2%. So my no, do not don't, don't forget it, Travis traditional TV here?
1: traditional TV includes dish and, and direct TV now and fios areas, in the rural areas but, all those but, people with dishes yeah why would you watch
3: i don't get it I, it's i mean unless you're it's old there's
0: a lot is. of people first of all there are a lot of people who are old there's a lot of people <laughs> who just like like that's what they're used to like you know they they come home they don't want to spend time figuring out something new they know that it works um it's just their form you know they They don't want to try something new or they tried it and they didn't like it and they never want to try it again. That was maybe six years ago.
3: Okay.
0: Well, I guess this is how I mean, like this does play that out a little bit further. Let's be clear about this. This is the way the Democrats work. The Democrats will not stand up to the big cable and telephone companies, but they will spend the vast majority of, of, uh, of tens of billions of dollars to connect people who will never vote for them. And the Democrats will not even go out and remind mm-hmm. them who connected them with high speed Internet access. Mm-hmm. This is what they will do while mm-hmm. the Republicans are trying mm-hmm. to actually cut that money back. And then mm-hmm. the Republicans will take credit for it and get votes on the
3: basis of it. Oh, we're on, the, we're on the cusp of a red here, Travis. Okay, I'm trying. This whole blood draw thing is really throwing me for a loop. All right, I'm going I'm to I'm go for my last-ditch attempt. Chris, this global cooling here is a real problem. <laughs>
0: yeah no this is this is an easy one travel i'm not even i'm not even gonna break a sweat man um, um minnesota cooling is what we're experiencing it is certainly not global cooling
3: <laughs> all right I, I was going for global
1: cooling because i it's cold here we've, had, yeah, the warmest, no, it we've is. had the warmest winter ever down here so yeah no, and
0: I, you know, I, so I, I, um, a few weeks, 10 days ago, Travis, right around the time that you got back, um, I broke out the grill. I was making hamburgers in the back. I had snow in the yard, and the house was buttoned up tight. Every window closed, all the doors closed because it was too hot outside to open the windows. <laughs> so, this all right, is, sorry, guys, this is all stupid, I got. I got the stupid conspiracy
3: series, the free money, the wireless, the cold global cooling. He's not going to bite today. No, but oh,
0: I'll, no. I mean, I'll just say this like, I feel like, um, you know, we'll eventually figure out who the Democrats are going to put on the FCC. Um, I think it is a person uh, who will have done extensive time with a with one of the largest uh, telephone monopolies. Mm. And uh, that person will not have to face three hearings like Gigi did. That person will not have her credibility attacked um, and, and asked whether or not it's appropriate that she's on the FCC. Um, she will sail right through, I predict. Um, although it would really help if freaking Dianne Feinstein would retire, these people just drive me nuts. Who are like the world can't function without my my with without, without me, you know, like being around, even though my brain doesn't work anymore. Um, it's just it's infuriating. Um, and so I I am thrilled that I um, that we are seeing all these opportunities to work at the local level because DC is getting, she, worse. Keep getting worse. DC is getting worse.
1: DC is getting worse. You keep saying she is the new commissioner going to be a she. <laughs> that's my understanding. You already I mean, know that's, it is?
0: that's what that's what the rumor mill is pointing okay. to to a uh, um, yeah another woman, and I think that's not surprising. Like I think it's no. very clear the Democrats were not interested in putting up um, a uh, a man um, or certainly not a white man, um, which you know is the Democrats are trying to react to hundreds of years of locking out entire demographics from important jobs by only putting those people into important jobs. And um, in many cases, those are great people.
3: Well, well, hold on now. So, Kim, are you going to get the job? Can you make an announcement here? (laughs) No, let's be clear. Mm -hmm. They're looking for
0: people
1: who have... They always um, want a lawyer, first off. They want a person who is
0: inside the Beltway who went to elite universities and hangs out with the right people and goes to the right dinner parties and... What is um, he
2: tried Chris trying to say about me? What is Chris trying yeah.
4: to say
1: about he said, me? He said you're not a leader. Kim
0: hangs I, out in a hotel room. Kim, I don't know we can see means. the hotels that you're staying in. I do not see a wait staff behind you.
1: <laughs> Before we're done here, he's going to say that you're rapacious. Just so, yeah. I know. It's, it's coming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> also, I like Kim. I would not sentence her to a term on the FCC. <laughs>
3: Well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. Season?
1: I wouldn't send anybody I know to a term on the
3: absolute. What's the speed yes. definition right now, Chris? <laughs> right now.
1: <laughs> the speed definition is: we plan to be back
0: in two weeks with another <laughs> episode of. <hang laughs> this we are. Um, we're going to do a live show a week from Monday at uh, in Houston, um, and uh, Kim and I will be there with Heather Gold and Bob Knight from Harrison Edwards. I think it'll be his first time on the show. He is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to be a live wire. I predict. Um, mm-hmm. So that that will be going out in the evening around 6 6 30 central time we think kim
2: there will be cocktails yes about then um there will be cocktails before so i can't wait to see heather gold and bob on this show it should be interesting
3: yeah so doug and i got booted then is that what i'm we did. <laughs> this is, uh, when, we do
4: the,
2: when
0: we do the live shows you got to show up in person travis, travis, travis what <laughs> a spot for you if you want to come down to houston with us
1: travis you're not elite I gave you the list of all the shows that
0: we were going to, Travis, and you declined to uh, commit to coming to any of them. But we can revisit it when we get together.
3: You know what? Alright. Ruben, you're my man, buddy. So, keep it up. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Well, it's been fun. i happy to probably enrage some number of our viewers with my frank political opinions, but um, everyone sucks, and it's not getting better. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's been wonderful talking to you. all really thank big thanks to Bill Woodcock for uh, for coming out and uh, helping us to delve into some topics that we've not talked about before. Uh, but we will be back with a live edition in about ten days. And until then, this uh, has been a wonderful episode of Connect This.